Ah, yes. Another episode of The Talk Show. The next time I grace you with the sweet sounds of my melodious voice, we'll already have a Super Bowl matchup in place. So until then, I'll tell you about all the potential outcomes that could happen this week in the conference championship games. Is Vegas basically daring us to bet the Bucks? Also, I talk some basketball. Is there a Ben Simmons trade that could still happen? Can Kyrie figure it out with the Nets? All that stuff is coming up, plus a little bit of baseball, hot stove free agency, and a whole lot more coming up on the talk show. Welcome back to the latest edition of the talk show. In this episode, I still didn't recap the divisional round of the playoffs. There's a lot to talk to. So football, we're going to get to a little bit later because I'm also going to preview the championship games. We have the four best teams remaining. I know I've said that countless times, but how often do we have that? These are the top four teams in the league, I think. I've thought that all year. So that's really exciting. Before that, I want to get into some other things, starting with the NBA. The last time I spoke basketball was right after the Harden trade to Brooklyn. And there are some things that you know have developed since then, including they've played games. Kyrie's come back. They've played games with Kyrie. So a lot of stuff has happened since then. First, I mentioned on my last episode with Johnny Lazarus, I talked about Philly, how Daryl Morey wasn't willing to go as far to get James Harden. And yes, that is one rumor that there was. But there was another rumor in addition to that. That rumor was that the opposite might have been true. That Tillman Fertitta was being petty, basically. Didn't get the best trade for his franchise because he didn't want to trade him to Daryl Morey and give Daryl Morey the guy who he has history with and they have bad blood between the satisfaction here. You get your guy. The two sides to that are both super intriguing. They're both compelling stories, but I think the Daryl Morey side is obviously more telling about what he feels about James Harden. He's tried to make that work. He's trying to make something else work now. And if it's the opposite, the Tillman Fertitta thing, it's just petty. You maybe could have gotten a better deal. Who knows? Maybe Oladipo walks after this year. So you might have gotten nothing out of that. He's playing for a contract. They stink. Like last night, they played close. It was pretty fun. It was a fun game against Phoenix. They played them pretty close, but they don't look that good. And even though Oladipo is putting up numbers, he's just trying to get a contract out of this. That's why he's there right now putting up those numbers. So if you could have gotten a guy like Ben Simmons under control and maybe you start to build through him and some draft picks, that would have been a better move maybe for Tillman Fertitta, but pettiness sometimes gets in the way. As far as Philly and what Daryl Morey is up to, I'm not sure. Is there a plan B? Maybe he still wants to trade Ben Simmons. Philly fans are really down on Ben Simmons, and I am too. I have been. He doesn't shoot. They say his defense is great, but teams are still going to put up points on them, right? It looks like Embiid is finally fully bought in and committed. He looks like he's in shape and he wants to play hard and he cares. That's big. That's something that we haven't necessarily seen from Joel Embiid in past seasons. And if he's like that now, they need to take advantage of that. So maybe Ben Simmons gets moved anyway. I theorized a trade, which is an interesting trade. Maybe they trade Ben Simmons to 
Washington. The Washington experiment with Russell Westbrook has not necessarily worked out. That's fair to say. They haven't been good. Brad Beal's on an expiring, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe they need to get rid of him. Bradley Beal's not going to resign with them, especially with the way the franchise is playing right now. And despite his play being incredible, the franchise is not playing well at all. So there's no reason not to trade Bradley Beal. And we've heard Bradley Beal rumors for the past few months and last year as well because the franchise has been playing poorly despite his incredible play. So I think Washington has a young team. They have some guys, Thomas, a couple of guys. They have Denny Avdia. Maybe they can get Ben Simmons, try and build around him. Maybe they get two more draft picks from Philly with Ben Simmons. And in return, they can unload the Westbrook contract, kind of clear some cap space, and give them Beal. And if you put Westbrook, Beal, and Bede, Tobias Harris, who played incredible against Boston last night, you put that roster together, that looks like that can compete in the East, even with Brooklyn which I'm going to get to in a second. I'm going to get to Brooklyn in one second. Before that, I want to talk about one last thing. So that trade, I I mean, I'm pulling that out of my butt, but I don't know if that's anything that could even happen. But I think Philly still does want to move Ben Simmons. And I think Bradley Beal would be incredible for that team. Russell Westbrook would bring energy. He could kind of be just the point guard, the playmaker for everyone else. Doesn't need to be a scorer. Tobias Harris is a scorer. Bradley Beal is a scorer. Embiid is a scorer. And if Westbrook doesn't need to be a scorer, he could just facilitate for everyone else. I think he could still be extremely effective. The other thing I want to talk about was right after the trade, we were talking about Karis LeVert. Is he going to Houston? Then it turned out he was going to Indiana. Everyone kind of felt bad for him. Wow, he's all over the place. Karis LeVert came out straight up and said this trade, which has been tough for him, saved his life. And the trade was obviously tough on him. First season trade rumors for weeks and months. Then finally they do get rid of him. He doesn't know where he's going. He's now no longer the piece on the team that is a legitimate championship contender, maybe the favorite to win the championship. That's got to be tough for a guy like Karis LeVert. But they found a mass on his kidney that would have been very dangerous to him when he was doing his pre-trade physical that you have to do in order for the trade to pass. I'm not sure why that doesn't uh, nullify the trade, but I don't know anything about that stuff. But that saved his life. And Karis LeVert straight up said, this trade, maybe it wasn't easy for me, but that trade saved my life. And that's a huge story here. Um, I think that's incredible. Sometimes the way the world is run, you see kind of a higher power and things. So whether you're a religious Orthodox Jew like me, or you're just someone who likes to see the silver linings and stories that otherwise sometimes seem bleak. That's kind of a nice story that nobody's really talking about. So I wanted to shed a little bit of light on that. Now to the Nets, because they're the biggest piece of this trade, obviously. Last night, for the first time, the Nets' big three played. Now, this is the best big three we've ever seen. But they lost last night in double overtime. So it was a good game. Kyrie, KD, Harden, they all put up numbers. But something was very interesting and very off about that game. Maybe it was because it was in Cleveland and Kyrie's home, old hometown where he started his career, became an NBA player. I don't know if he was feeling like kind of nostalgic landing back there. Like, okay, I am back in Cleveland and I need to show that you guys, you know, I'm going to be great. He took 28 shots last night. KD took 25, Harden only 14. 
here's the thing me and my father said about Kyrie. Kyrie wanted to be the alpha. That's why he left. That's why he left LeBron. He wanted to be the alpha. And guess what? When he went to Boston, Bill Simmons was talking about this. They let him make decisions on like what jerseys they would wear when and like stuff like that, that he wanted to be involved in. He designed some of the city uniforms for Brooklyn. I think when he went to Brooklyn, he thought, hey, I'm the alpha and I'm bringing KD along with me. Listen, the guy's a great guy. I'm fully on board with that. After hearing Sean Marks talk about it on Craig and Evan yesterday, I do believe that there are some challenges that Kyrie faces on a day-to-day basis, both mentally and emotionally. And that inhibits him from being a great player. He's still an incredible player, but his commitment, there's some sort of mental game going on there and I don't know what it is and I hope he's getting the proper help and I know this is a very different take than what I said last week about hey Kyrie just ditching the team and I still think all that stuff is true I think if you can't play then you know maybe take some time and just be up front beforehand and just say hey I I need to sit the year out or whatever it is I, I need to leave indefinitely so maybe it could have been handled better but still I think Kyrie is so talented, and I think he's kind of holding this team back. Now, the team wants to help him, the players, the ownership, the GM, the coaches. And here's where it gets tricky. If he's going to hold this team back because he thinks he's the man on this team, he needs to take the last shot, he needs to do all that, then it hurts the team from winning. And if they're not playing winning basketball because he doesn't pass, then they might need to trade him. And you can't trade him if you just came out and said, hey, here's a guy who needs help and needs our support at this time, and then you go ahead and trade him, it looks so bad for your franchise. So Sean Marks backed himself into a bit of a corner here. And listen, no one's complaining. Your corner that you're backed into is that you have to keep Kyrie Irving. Listen, a lot of people love Kyrie Irving. He's an incredible player. And many teams would love to have him. But I think they need to work it out. Maybe Steve Nash... Plays him like the first four minutes of the first quarter just so that he starts and then pulls him and plays him, you know, the entire time that Harden and KD aren't on the floor because they know that it doesn't look like Kyrie's passing. He wants to be the man. He wants to take the shots. So it's just interesting. He's an interesting dude. That's that's what we've talked about with Kyrie. He wanted to be the man. That's why he left Cleveland. That's why he left LeBron. And I think he is in a headspace where he feels, listen, LeBron's different than anyone. KD is not an ultra alpha personality. James Harden, neither is he. I mean, at least compared to LeBron, neither of those guys are. So maybe he still feels like I'm the man and he being Kyrie because he's no longer under the shadow of LeBron. And I don't know how that's going to unfold long term. I still think this team will figure it out. They're so talented. It's one game. They're so talented. I think they'll, again, I think they have to win because we've never seen a team with this much talent. Even Joe Harris, who was two for 10 last night. If he goes five for 10, maybe they win. You know, they probably do. The most fun outcome for me of this whole trade and this new big three and all that is we now get to root for LeBron. I thought about this yesterday and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best outcome of this entire thing. The finals is likely going to come down to 
the Lakers again against the Nets. Now, if it was just the Lakers, people always looking for an excuse to not love LeBron and to put him down. It's crazy how we waste, whether he's the greatest or second greatest player in the league, we waste his entire career instead of appreciating him, talking about whether he's best or second to best and trying to put him down and take away his great accomplishments. This year, we're going to get to root for him. It's going to be the finals. Nobody wants to root for the super, super team. So we'll get to root for AD and LeBron in the finals to beat Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. It's like when we rooted for LeBron to beat KD, Steph, Clay Thompson, Draymond, that whole team. It's really fun. It's really fun. Speaking of beating that team, LeBron lost to that team without KD, without Clay Thompson. Somebody pissed Steph Curry off, and I love it. They were down 11 with nine minutes left, I think, something like that. I started watching to the Lakers. It was 101 to 90. And I turn on the game, and I'm like, you know, I don't... I mean, LeBron and AD should put this away up 11. Even only nine minutes is a lot of time, but they should put this away. And they didn't. And Curry wasn't having a great game. He didn't have a great game. But this Warriors team, somebody woke them up. And I talked about how, Steve Kerr, you can't get away with this. You're not coaching just because you lost a player. He's hurt. And guess what? Somebody woke this team up. Curry wants to just show everyone how great he is. Draymond Green is getting back involved in the offense. You forget, he used to knock down threes. He used to play a big role in the offense. He took a step back when they got KD. He took a step back because the team didn't really need him to play a big role in the offense. And he's a team player. And he's the best team player. You see him coaching up James Wiseman. I posted that on my Instagram. The video of him talking to James Wiseman, just coaching him up building up his confidence. It's incredible. Every team would love to have a Draymond Green. Even though at one point he was one of the more hated players in the league. That team last night, they totally dismantled the Spurs. Now, I know this isn't the regular Spurs teams, but they outspurs the Spurs. The way the ball was moving on offense was just so much fun to watch. The way they were moving off ball, the screens. When Curry's setting a back screen for Draymond, like it's ridiculous. Curry does not stop moving off ball, whether it's game buckets for others or game buckets for himself. He only had 26 points, but he was involved in every possession on the offense when he was on the floor. That was just incredible to watch. And they play my Knicks tonight. I think they're totally going to dismantle them too. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, if you would have told me, hey, road game, the way the Knicks are playing and going to Oakland with four nights off before that, or whatever it was, they haven't played since Monday. I'd be like, yeah, the Knicks should be pretty competitive in that game, probably even beat the Warriors. Not anymore, no. The Warriors are going to totally crush the Knicks tonight. Anyway, that's my basketball points. I'm going to take a quick break and come back with some football, wrap it up with baseball at the end, actually. Um, I'll be back. Divisional round was so much fun. I loved it. It was great to watch. First of all, I predicted everything that was going to happen. I told you the Bucs were going to win. I told you all year the Bucs were going to be good. And I told you we'd probably be sitting here with them in the NFC Championship game. And I said I thought Brady was going to have to travel to Lambeau. That did happen also. Green Bay won. And I told you I thought Buffalo's really good and they'll win. And I didn't think Cleveland had a chance to win. Now, the way it all went down, could I have predicted any of that? Not really. 
But now I'm here to break it all down, take give you my takeaways from the games, which were really fun. So we'll start, we'll go in order of the games. We'll start with the early Saturday game. I thought LA played really well. They missed Donald for most of the game or big parts of the game. He was obviously very hurt. We found out after we knew kind of going into the game. And I thought LA's defense played really well. And their offense was not bad at all. I think there are some questions about Jared Goff again, because now it's like, hey, he played really well. Like the last couple of weeks in the playoffs, he kind of played good enough for them to win. But they just ran into a way better team. Like that game felt kind of close. And yet the Packers really crushed them 32-18. So it wasn't close at all. Despite it feeling kind of close and despite it feeling like LA's defense was really good. And I think the reason for that is because Rodgers is just so freaking ridiculous. He's on another level. He's on a mission this year. And I want to see him keep winning. I want to see him keep going out there and proving the haters wrong and crushing everyone. I want to see him show I was Mahomes before Mahomes. I'm this good. Maybe, you know, show people what he really is. I think he's that good and he's kind of on a mission. He's aware of what people are saying about him. He always has been. He should win the MVP this year. And I want him to win Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP also. (laughs) I think he gets all of those. I would love to see that. But for now, he's still a game away from the Super Bowl. He would have to beat Brady and the Bucks, which we'll get to in a second. The night game kind of stunk. Mainly because Lamar stunk. And if you're being completely honest with yourself, as a Ravens fan, Lamar stunk last week also. They barely eked out a win against Tennessee, a team that just couldn't score after they went up 10-0 or whatever it was. They didn't really score. They didn't have any offense. And the Ravens offense was the Ravens defense, sorry, was really good. Josh Allen wasn't great at all, which is concerning. They also two weeks straight, they won both games. Josh Allen wasn't great in either of them. So it's fun to see Bill's Mafia going nuts and enjoying these wins, but who knows if they could beat KC unless they turn into the Bills that they were the last seven, eight weeks of the season. But the last two weeks and the first two weeks of the playoffs, they weren't the same team. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. But Lamar really stunk. And the narrative about Lamar not being able to play in the playoffs, I don't believe, I don't buy any of that stuff. Because if a player is really good, which Lamar showed, He's really talented. You can't deny that, that he has extreme talent. Does he have limitations as his quarterback? Yes. To say he can't play in the playoffs, I don't know. I don't buy that. I don't buy that type of thing. I think he has a lot of off games against really good defenses. And yes, you're going to face really good defenses in the playoffs. But Buffalo is not one of those really good defenses. There were other obstacles. And then he got hurt. And it kind of felt like if he didn't get hurt, that game would have gotten even more out of hand because he just really wasn't playing well. I mean, I'm sitting there watching that. It's 10-3, it felt like they're about to tie the game, go into the end zone. And he throws that 101-yard pick six. Just a really bad throw, a really bad decision. And yeah, Ravens fans, you go into next year again, and you might win 12 games again. You might put up a ton of points. They're the best point differential in the league this year. And yeah, you'll beat up on Cincinnati. You'll maybe beat Cleveland once. You'll beat up on Pittsburgh a little bit. But then when you have to face teams outside of division and the real teams in the playoffs, again, 
You're going to have the same questions about his accuracy. You guys need to get a real wide receiver. Baltimore needs a real wide receiver, a real big, fast, physical wide receiver. Maybe Allen Robinson. And I think Lamar has all the talent in the world and can pull it together. But now I think there are more questions than there were last year. Last year after one game, I mean, okay, fine. He wasn't great, but like, whatever. But this year, he had two games in the playoffs. And despite them winning one of them, he wasn't great in either. As far as Josh Allen and the Bills, I would love to see them keep it going and keep winning. But they don't really deserve to win the way they've been playing. So hopefully they can turn it on and beat the Chiefs somehow. That brings me to the next game, which was the Chiefs. Now, this game, I got to break down. Well, it's a lot. This was the best game of the week, I think, because it was close. It came down to the very end. There were some gutsy plays. There were some crazy moments. It's the Browns and all their baggage, all their history against the Chiefs. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, their first game of the playoffs this year, coming off the Super Bowl, trying to defend their title. We got everything this game promised to be. The line was moved down to what, like seven and a half before the game, something like that. But it definitely outplayed the 10 point spread, which we saw early. So I'm going to start with the fumble out of bounds. That's where I'm starting this. There was so much that happened in this game. I have to start with the fumble out of bounds. That's like the earliest I can get to. I think it was Higgins going into the end zone and he fumbles it out of bounds, reaching for the pylon, which means it's a touchback in Kansas City's ball. Everyone hates the rule. I don't understand the rule. You're penalizing the guy, basically. If you fumble out of bounds in that spot, you're penalized, and it goes to the the other team. If you fumble out of bounds and it goes out of bounds right before the pylon, it would have been the offense's ball first down at the half-yard line. Why is there a penalty in this spot for fumbling? I'm not sure. But if you want to put a penalty, just put the team back at the 20. The offense's ball, keep the ball back at the 20. But that's the rule. The rule's the rule. And at that point, I start tweeting out, okay, Good season, Browns. This is typical Browns. They'll never win. Stuff like this just happens to them too often. And I'm like, okay, Kansas City, they're just going to run away with it now, right? Wrong. Kansas City refused to put this game away. Coming up with field goals. After the Baker pick, they didn't score. They just never put the game away. And then Mahomes gets hurt. Patrick Mahomes, by the way, if he would have pulled one of those Madden stunts where it says, You know, you see the guy limping off the field. It says concussion, but he's holding his leg. Um, They always have those glitches in Madden. If Mahomes would stay down for a minute and then come up with like a little bit of a limp, maybe they let him back into that game. But because the league is so conscious of the helmet-to-helmet hits and the concussions and the safety of the players, which they should be. I'm not bashing that at all. That is important. If he stays down and doesn't get up right away wobbling the way he did, that's just a bad look. And once he does that, you know you can't have him in the game anymore. And now all week the headlines have been, Mahomes remains in concussion protocol, but he's full practice. Mahomes remains in concussion protocol, but he's like, first it was limited in practice. Then now it's just full practice. And he's going to go on Sunday. He's going to play. Whether he remains in concussion protocol or not. And I don't think the league's going to hold him out. I saw somebody say, I think Skip Bayless said that they should push off the game till he can play. 
Like, it's not that crazy. Just push off the game till Mahomes could play. It's worth it for the league. We've seen crazier things this year. Maybe it was Colin Cowherd. I don't remember. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Just let Mahomes play. If the league's going to push off the game, it might as well just let Mahomes play. Say he's healthy. Because if you're the Bills, how can you push off this game for Mahomes to play? But if you just pass him, concussion protocol is implemented by the league. The league office could say, yep, he passed concussion protocol. He's good to go. So we'll see what happens with that. But back to this game. He's out now. Once you see him wobbling like that, and the broadcasters are saying it, and everyone sees it on TV, you can't put him back in the game after that. Baker played almost a perfect game in this game. It was impressive. He was really, really good. He threw that pick, but other than that, he played almost perfect. And then Casey driving, maybe already in field goal range, definitely close. Chan Hattie throws maybe the worst pick anyone's ever seen in a playoff game. Basically just punts it into the end zone, gives it to the Browns. And now the Browns have a chance. And yes, Baker was nearly perfect, but he needed to pick up a first down on that drive. He doesn't. And they punt. And I think it was the right decision to punt. You really, you're putting the the game in the hands of Chad Henney. And you're saying, here, go beat me. And it's the right call. There was plenty of time left. Baker didn't seem overly urgent on that last drive. Like he didn't seem to think, hey, this is my last drive. They weren't rushing up to the line. They were kind of taking their time a little bit. That was not a great drive from Baker who had, like I said, an incredible game. But then the third and 14, Chad Henney runs for 13 and a half yards, just pulls that out of nowhere. And then the call from Andy Reid. And let me tell you something. Andy Reid never calls that play. It's a great point by Bill Simmons. He never calls that play if they don't win the Super Bowl last year. If he's still that great coach, but who's never won, then he doesn't take a chance there maybe. But they run that stretch out to Tyreek Hill, that's basically unstoppable. Henny still has to make the throw. He makes the one throw they needed. Just a crazy call. And you see, as they get up to the line, they're like, yeah, they're not snapping this. Tony's like, yeah, they're not snapping this. And you see the defense kind of relax. Just take a step back for a second. They're on their back heels just for the split second. And Henny snapped at the perfect time. The second he sees the defense taking that step back for a second where they're like, oh yeah, they're not snapping this ball. All he needs is that split second. Tyreek is open. Game over. Incredible play call. Incredible play design. By Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, And great execution by Chad Henney. So next week we'll get to see Kansas City. Hopefully at full strength. And hopefully Buffalo plays up to what they're capable of playing. And we get another great game. Now to the Sunday night game. Sunday night brought the game we were all anticipating. Brady and Breeze for the first time in the playoffs. Probably the last time they ever play each other. The first time we ever saw them, I was five years old. I've mentioned that. Just crazy. But let's talk about the football game. At the end of the day, Drew Breeze just isn't good enough anymore. He hasn't been the last two years, this year and last year. That team is so talented. They have so many players. They're stacked in so many areas. They're a better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are. I think they're a way better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they're just not good enough with Breeze at quarterback. And it sucks. I think he was good enough a couple years ago 
And just watching the way this game played out, it really upset me more that they didn't win the PI game. The game against the Rams that would have sent the Saints to the Super Bowl. They should have been in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. And the way the Patriots played in that Super Bowl, who knows? Maybe the Saints win that game. Although you do have to give credit to the Rams defense. Just so upsetting that that call maybe changes the course of Drew Brees' career. Maybe we never see him crippled the way we did the last two years if he just wins a Super Bowl and calls it quits then. I'm a huge Drew Brees guy. It's impossible not to be. He's just a guy you want to root for. And it sucks. It sucks that we had to see him like this the last couple of years. See Taysom Hill making big plays for the offense. Jameis Winston coming in, making a big play for the offense this past week. I don't know what to say. I wish Drew Brees maybe could hold on for one more year, but I don't think they'll ever win with him. I think we're past that. Maybe you have him as like an honorary coach on the sideline for next year. I don't know. I really don't. But that would be like degrading to a guy who had such an incredible career like Drew Brees. Speaking of incredible to career, Tom Brady is just ridiculous. The guy doesn't age. He's unbelievable. He won them that game. Tampa did not play great, but Tom was incredible. What was it? Like 400 yards, four touchdowns. Something like that. He's just insane. And he doesn't get older. He doesn't stop. He's not getting worse anytime soon. Tom Brady, Bucks, they get to go to Lambeau now. Tom Brady loves the cold weather. It's going to be freezing. It's not going to be a packed house. It's going to be a great, great game. And Tom Brady's got it in him to go to the Super Bowl again. First time without Belichick. It would just be insane. Just shut up any haters. Not that there are any left anymore. Tom Brady is the undisputed GOAT. But I don't think that team is great, Tampa. But Tom Brady is just so on a different level than anyone. It's not a talent thing. It's not an ability thing. Wits, it's just the full package of he's just a winner. And that's what makes him the greatest ever. Now, the post game between Brady and Breeze was also just a beautiful moment. If you watch them, Brady comes out and he's staying there. He just looks like just a regular guy, looks like a fan almost. The way he's hanging out with Breeze and his family and his kids, his wife, talking to them, tossing the football around with them. There's no one around Tom. There's no bodyguard or team official standing with him holding his bag for him. I thought that moment was so incredible. Watching him bend over to pick up his bag and just leave the stadium at the end of it was kind of the coolest part to me. Like this guy's just a regular dude in a way. I don't know. He's so awesome. And I love that I get to say that now, now that he's no longer a Patriot. Tom Brady is awesome. And I love loving Tom Brady. And Drew Brees also. That like that whole interaction. Nobody has a smoother dap in the world than Drew Brees. When he daps a guy up, it's just so smooth. Like the way he like gives that bro hug. Easily the best thing Brees is good at. And his wife wrote that whole letter about the difficulty of this past season. And Drew hasn't specifically announced his retirement yet. And he's struggling. He really just wants to win before he leaves. He knows how good this team is. He knows. That in a perfect season, in a perfect world, he could win. But there's always good teams. There's always obstacles. And for them, whether it's been twice against Minnesota, 
or that crazy Rams game, there's just been that one obstacle in their way, and it sucks. Another guy who's just always had those obstacles, and he announced his retirement, was Phillip Rivers. Now, I think Phillip Rivers is a really good quarterback. I think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's better than anyone gives him credit for. Of course, ultimately, the Giants will get two Super Bowls because they traded him away for Eli Manning. But he was a better. He was a better quarterback than Eli Manning. That's indisputable. And Giant fans come at me. I don't care. You can't deny that Phillip Rivers was a better quarterback. And he wasn't a choker in big games. Eli Manning never won a playoff game outside of the years they won the Super Bowl. And it sucks because, again, it, that Indianapolis team was really good. And in a perfect world, like I said, they actually played really well. And maybe if they played someone else, they'd get a win in the first round, get themselves a little momentum. Maybe they go on a run. But he's retired. I think he's content. He's going to go into broadcasting. He's going to be great. But just a legend who we won't be seeing anymore and never got that Super Bowl. It may be a forgotten career, a career that was a lot better than people give credit for. All right, a couple of baseball points, and then I'm going to pick the conference championship game. So the baseball points I wanted to make are first about the Yankees. The Yankees signed Corey Kluber, which happened right after I recorded last. So Corey Kluber, yay. Um, Is it exciting? It's okay. Like if he returns to the 2018 from 2014 through 2018 form, that would be insane. But what are the odds of him doing that? They gave him a lot of money. They gave him $11 million for a prove-it season, a season where he needs to prove that he still got it. And I know a lot of teams were very in on him. And the Yankees have a relationship with Cressy, the guy who worked with him for his rehab and all that. And that stuff is great. You know, that stuff's really good because obviously they had the inside track and I guess the teams were really impressed with him at the showcase he put on because the offers were really high. But now the Yankees have a full 40-man roster. But they have holes. They, they're a starting pitcher short still. The one thing Corey Kluber doesn't give them is reliability. Now, they have Severino, who is coming back off Tommy John surgery. We don't know we're gonna, what we're going to get. You have... Jordan Montgomery, who looked good in that playoff game, but really since his injury, we haven't seen a full, really good season from him. We don't know where we can get. Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt. All these guys have the same thing in common. Domingo Herman. And guess what? They just added another one of those guys in Corey Kluber for $11 million, who's just a question mark. So the hole still remains. Now, is it likely that maybe three of those seven guys will put together a really nice season? Yeah, I guess you could always, the more guys you throw in there, the more chances you could take. But what if you whiff on all seven? Maybe that's not likely, but it could happen. So there's still holes. And now Cashman's going to have to get creative with trades because, like I said, they have a 40-man roster now. So they're going to need to get rid of some players, especially if they're going to want to stay under the 210 luxury tack that they really want to stay under. But this is a win-now team. You have Judge, Glaber. All these guys, Gary, on basically rookie deals, paying them pennies. Clint Frazier, Luke Voigt. And you have Garrett Cole. His prime is now. Remember, the Yankees won the first year with CC. After about three, four years, CC kind of fell off. You're paying Garrett Cole all that money in six, seven years, eight years from now for what he's going to give you now. 
And if you don't win now, then you're wasting not only the money that you're paying him now, but the money you're paying him in those years. Because that contract is not going to be worth it then. You give him the years, you give him all that money to win you a title in the first few years. So what are you doing? And to push the argument a little bit further, why are you trying to stay under the 210 if that's the case? I know I talked about trusting Brian Cashman, but this is something that the franchise needs to really look at themselves and be like, hey, we're a win-now team. This run-it-back mentality that they've had the last few years since 2017, basically, it's not good enough anymore. Tanaka's reliable. I would like to see him back, but he's going to cost money, and he's not the answer. They need a reliever. They need a starter. The Nationals, Washington Nationals, had a really, really good offseason. They picked up Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell, two power lefty hitters. Of course, they won the World Series the first year after they lost their big left-hander in the lineup. But now they got three lefties in that lineup who are just scary. Soto, Schwarber, Bell, that's nuts. And they picked up another lefty, John Lester, a veteran pitcher to go along with a rotation that's really pretty good already. If you look at Corbin, Scherzer, Strasburg, really good rotation. Now you added a guy. I think they had a quietly, really, really good offseason. And look out for them in the NL East and maybe coming out of the NL even. So I like what the Nationals did. Now let's get to picking some football games. Conference championship games. Early game on Sunday, 3 o'clock, is Green Bay taking on the Tampa Bay Bucks in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. Green Bay is favored by minus three and a half. These lines are both very similar. Kansas City at home against Buffalo, minus three. When it's three or less, or even three and a half, you know it's going to be a really good game. Now, I think Vegas adding that half point to the Packers spread makes me kind of think that maybe they think the Packers will blow out the Bucks, despite being blown out by them earlier this year. I don't think that game really counts for anything. I don't think that means anything. Now, I told you what I want to happen. I want Green Bay to win, and I want Kansas City to win. That would be an incredible Super Bowl. Two of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life, just pure talent. It would be awesome. Now, if the other two teams win, the Bills make it all the way to the Super Bowl, finally rid themselves of the curse of having Tom Brady in their division, only to face Tom Brady and the Bucks in the Super Bowl, that would be awesome. But we'll see if that happens. I could see it going anyway. Who knows how healthy Patrick Mahomes is? Is Rodgers finally going to go back to the Super Bowl or is just Brady's experience going to carry them to the Super Bowl again? No matter who his teammates are, no matter what it says on his jersey, what state he plays in, he'll become the first quarterback to get a home Super Bowl game down in Tampa. Now, if it's Brady Mahomes in the Super Bowl, we saw an incredible Brady Mahomes game back a couple of years ago in the conference championship game. Mahomes should have won that game. Frank Clark doesn't jump offside or borderline offside, whatever it was. I guess Green Bay Buffalo is also a good game. So all the matchups are good. That's what happens when you have the four best teams in football and they're not that different from each other. Now, I think the worst team of this group of four is the Bucks, but they have the best quarterback ever who makes up for them not being the best team. I'm going to take Green Bay. I'm going to take KC despite the points. Three, minus three, minus three and a half doesn't make a difference to me. 
I expect really, really good games. I expect both games to come down to the wire. I'm actually going to say maybe Green Bay runs away with this game a little bit. But can I see Tampa crushing them? (laughs) Yeah, I could see it going that way. But predictions, I think Green Bay is going to win by maybe seven. Not run away, but never feel really close. Seven to ten points. And I think KC goes back and forth. Maybe also wins by like five. I think Josh Allen will finally show up in this game. We'll really see the Josh Allen we saw all year. And Buffalo will feel really good about themselves going forward as the best team in the AFC East. Now, I'm going to go run and listen to my favorite team in the AFC East, the New York Jets, introduce their new head coach, Robert Sala. So I'll see you until next time. Here's Jovi. Can't go.